There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and productive personal and work lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Every week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately put to use in your life and that you come alive with the possibility of living with passion, working on purpose, and are inspired to discover for yourself just how big and fulfilling your life, work, and leadership can be. And if you do catch fire from anything you hear, reach out and tell me about it. Email me at elise at elisecortez.com or use the contact me feature on my website to message me and tell me how I can help. Lots of ways. Whether you want to join the email distribution list to stay informed of these radio show topics, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community, or inquire about one of the leadership experiential retreats across the U.S., you want information on the purpose-driven leadership programs for individuals or companies offered via webcast or on-site, or you want to see about having me speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thanks for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us today, once again, is Dr. Arthur C. McCauley. He's a licensed clinical psychologist who has been treating clients for more than 35 years. He is a member of the American Psychological Association and the Massachusetts Psychological Association. He is the author of numerous books, including The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience, and most recently, The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. We'll be talking about that later book. Today he joins us from Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Sir McCauley, welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Elise. It's nice to hear your voice again. It's been isn't, a while. It, isn't it, though? I was so thrilled when we were connecting and corresponding and you said, hey, I've got another book. And I said, hey, you got to come back and talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so well, let's get... I'm very grateful to be on the show again. Thank you. Well, I really enjoy you. And as I mentioned, uh, before we got on the air together, I, I crossed path with people in my leadership program, one of which recently who was connected to you, so knows your stuff mm-hmm. and aspires to lead with emotional intelligence, among other things you espouse. So I want to get into this book here because there's much in here for our listeners to get acquainted with and wrap themselves around. So let's dive in. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So first, let's acquaint the listeners with one of the phrases that you use in the book. That's that's A-I-E, leaders. That that stands for authenticity, integrity, and empathy. And I found it so interesting. I love the way you write it. So It's so accessible. But you say that we all know on a visceral, emotional level when someone has soul. And we feel this in the presence. And we're elated and energized by, by that. And I completely agree with that. Um, and, and you talk when you were a young child going to that family wedding and, and the attorney without the soul, but the abundance of arrogance. I just remember that story so well. Mm-hmm. So the very first thing I, we have to ask, since your book is called The Soulful Leader, can we develop and grow soul? 
I think we can, Elise, particularly by expanding empathy. You know, we all are born with empathy neurons and empathy, but empathy atrophies like an unused muscle if, if it's not ta taught and practiced. And empathy teaches us to go beyond the surface, to look into the heart and soul of another human being. It's really the, the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. And I think when you develop that ability, when you expand your empathic range, you really do touch other people's soul. And, and consequently, we also change brain chemistry. You know, we know now through functional MRIs that when you give and receive empathy, with another human being, you release oxytocin, which is what women produce when they're pregnant. And oxytocin is a near miracle neurotransmitter that makes people feel trusted. It makes feel, people feel compassionate, generous. It reduces inflammation and it reduces the release of cortisol, the stress hormone. So it, it is a hormone that's very important for connecting. And, you know, it's also called the love or connecting hormone. I like it. And I remember being pregnant. I was a very happy, loving, pregnant human being. I never minded being petted, all those sort of things. <laughs> it was fun for me. So I, you're bringing me back to a wonderful time of my life. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> no charge, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's go on here. Now, you, what I find interesting, and again, let's just keep di diving deeper into your book here, soul. That's an interesting word that we hear bantied about quite a bit. But you define it as the invisible, intangible part of every human being that yearns for attachment to something deeper and broader than what we perceive to be ourselves. If I've got that right, I got that from the introduction. Mm -hmm. Would you say more about that? Well, I, I think soul, you know, we, we, you know, we sense it. We know when someone has it. We particularly, that's why I began the book with talking about uh, one of my clients who's a noted musician who's played with people like Aretha Franklin and Lady Gaga and Jennifer, um, um, what's Jennifer's last name? Um, Oh, Hudson, Jennifer Hudson, he opened for Jennifer Hudson once. And he said, you know, when you're in when you're in people like that, when you're in their presence, you just feel their soul. So I think we we experience soul and we know somebody's very authentic when we know that they have integrity and we feel safe with them. Um, I think it, it is it is a, a desire to connect to something beyond ourselves, beyond ourselves. And I think it's a desire to be of service to others. So I think we expand our soul in that way. It's very difficult to define, but we feel it. I think it's an emotional connection. It's something that we sense and feel emotionally and it makes us feel more connected to other people. Okay, so two follow-up items to that, if I can, Dr. C, to shorten your wonderful name. I quite like your name. I know you make you talk about what that was like growing up with that name in your book, but I love your name. It's beautiful. Thank you. Um, so the other thing that you sort of say attached to this whole notion of, of a soulful leader is you, you also say that that person is, is not motivated by status or image, but really is more interested in making the most of all they encounter. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that just really beautiful and and gosh who doesn't want to be around that mm -hmm. and then the second thing I wanted to ask and to sort of delve into then regarding that is this all sounds really amazing and this is the space that I live in and dwell in but for our listeners who are getting acquainted with this material how would they recognize someone who is a soulful leader what is this person doing what are their behaviors that we might recognize well soulful leaders at least lead from the bottom up, not the top down. They, they know everyone in their organization. They, are, they don't treat anyone as more important than anyone else. So they don't just relate to the people
people at the top, which many many leaders who do who lack soul do, they re, they relate to everyone. They know who the receptionists are. They know who their secretaries are. They know a little bit about their family or more than a little bit. They know who clean cleans the floors. They know who you know plows the snow. They know who does the landscaping. They're connected to their organization in a in a whole comprehensive way. And the, they lead balanced lives, and that's and that's why they're they're so attractive because they they know how to turn the dial down. They have what I call a dimmer switch. The light is not always on bright, and when they're when they need to be serious and intense, they are. But they also love to play and they love to have fun, and they usually have a very good sense of humor. Very different than what I talk about in the book as performance addicts. Performance addicts usually are always trying to perfect themselves, and they make people feel uncomfortable rather than rather than the the consequence of being next to a soulful leader soulful leaders make people feel at ease and they really make you want to develop the abilities they have performance addicts on the other hand are so bottom line driven and so driven to to perfection that they create stress in their employees and they make people feel very uncomfortable and as a result they they people are not as creative and productive as they could be. Mm. Two things come to mind really quick because I want to make sure and get through as much as I can here. But the very first thing that comes to my mind when you speak about this is I go back to all the work I've done over my career with employee engagement. And one of the things that we see when we talk with employees about their experience of work that really can detract from it negatively <clears throat> is when they they feel like nobody recognizes them. They walk through yeah. the building and nobody even says hello and the leaders don't even don't even look their way, let alone know their name. And so I think immediately on the, on the place of what a difference it would make in terms of just engagement and then of course today we call that fulfillment in the workplace if there were more soulful leaders so that's the first thing any comments on that well yeah I, I think you know you know when you walk into a building I, I was I was saying I was giving a talk a few day, a few weeks ago that I went into a business that I was consulting to and I walked in and the receptionist was doing a crossword puzzle it took her about 30 seconds to look up and when she looked up no smile a little disturbed that I had interrupted what she was doing <laughs> and um, you know I said what a way to be greeted in a business and you know everything fell into place after that I mean none of the people walking through the hall were particularly friendly I was saying good morning to people some of them gave you that nod you know they they can't really acknowledge another human being and the leadership was the same so it started right from the beginning you know sometimes you know when when we take our kids to colleges and when they're trying to pick a college and you know we think such and such a school is the place for them to be but they once they sense the cult the culture they decide I don't want to go here I don't want my kids will right away dad I don't want to go here they they knew they, they were looking for warmth and connection and when they don't see that and they only saw the competitiveness of the people around them their peers they got very discouraged and didn't want to be in that environment and I think businesses corporations are the same just like that receptionist she set the tone but if there was a soulful leader there if the leader of that small business was in touch with authenticity integrity and empathy and he was utilizing those capacities she wouldn't have been allowed to be like that and Mm -hmm. and, because he wouldn't have he would have known that that's a turnoff to anyone entering the building right right now here's the second thing but just totally leapfrogging off that uh, I gotta believe, and I, if I'm wrong, you tell me. But I, I gotta believe that a really great example of a soulful leader, and rest his soul, I don't think he's with us anymore, is Herb Kelleher of Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. 
I had the privilege of flying one time. I was getting, I got on a flight really late, toward the end of the flight, early one morning, and I'm in the back, the very back of the line, just get, getting on, trying to get on the on the flight. There's all this commotion going on behind me, and who, lo and behold, it's Herb Kelleher getting on the flight, on the same flight going with me down to Houston from Dallas. Mm-hmm. And every, he walks through the plane, and the whole plane just erupts like this man is in the house, and he's so warm and <laughs> beautiful and connecting. He got up and served peanuts to everybody at one point during the flight. Then he got off the flight, Dr. Sarah McCauley, and literally it was like this wake of people running up to him as I walked behind him through the airport yes. in Houston. Yes. It was so beautiful. I thought, wow, I want to be that person. I want to grow into being that yes. person, to be of service like that. Yes. So you're you're describing exactly what happens, I think, when you're in the presence of a soulful leader. What happens is even when they're not present, because they exemplify certain behaviors, people want to act like that. People want to behave with integrity and have high ethics, and they want to relate with humility and concern and sensitivity. It just makes you want to be that way. Just like it makes it made those musicians want to play at their highest level because your 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 spirits are lifted when you're in the presence of someone like that. Absolutely. It just came to me as an example as we were talking. So okay, so now for those listeners who are like, this cell sounds really good and really nice and really fluffy and you know, sweet and all that sort of thing. But wait a minute, how about the fact that we're talking about business here? So let's talk about the ROI of leaders who think, act, and behave in this soulful manner. And so I know from some of my other research around purpose, of course, that this this really has some nice financial meat to it. Mm-hmm. But talk about the, the, the financial argument to be made in favor of soulful leadership. Well, just a few studies, Elisa. For instance, the companies who won the Corporate Health Award outperformed the S&P 500 by 200 percentage points or more. Lady Geek is a consulting company in London which rates companies on degrees of empathy. The top 10 companies increase value twice as much as those in the bottom 10. Why? Because AI leaders cause positive brain changes in themselves and in others, and they create a spirited atmosphere that naturally allows productivity and financial gain. There's no question about that. Harvard B studies, Princeton Business School studies, a number of studies have indicated that when you relate with authenticity, integrity, and empathy, profits rise. There's no question about that. And when you relate differently, when you relate with a a tendency to demean others, to be critical, to be short-tempered, and to be temperamental, the opposite happens. You know, there was a study of 51,000 leaders, and and they came out, and the study came out with one blaring fact. Leaders who were disliked had a one in 2,000 chance of being considered a good leader. What did that do? It lowers the mood of the organization, and it resulted in less revenue and less creativity. So when we lead in this way, we, create, we increase profits. We don't decrease profits. I complete. I, I I have followed some of the same studies and completely completely accept them as well. And so I just appreciate you being able to present that for our listeners who haven't seen those studies yet. So I'm completely on board with you. And then somewhat related to this notion of maybe leaders who maybe aren't liked, you say something very interesting in your book that I want to quickly touch on before we take our first break. And that is, there's a if we can contrast this whole empathic connection with what you describe in your book as people who have access to money and power. Power, but who often succumb to believing that happiness comes through possession, status, sex, and even extravagant vacations. Yes. We've all seen those kind of leaders. So can you yeah. say more about that? Well, they're what I call performance addicts. They believe that perfecting appearance and achieving status is going to secure love and respect. 
and it's a myth. It, it's created early in our families, and it's reinforced by our culture's obsession with appearance and status. And what we've done is, when we emphasize this, we we create people that live on perfection. You know, they try to perfect themselves. They always compare and contrasting themselves to others, and they do the same thing with their spouses and their children. And they tend to drive people crazy because they have this false belief system that achievement is going to bring them love. And often these are people who are very capable. They know how to achieve, but they don't know how to love. They don't know how to maintain intimacy and they don't know how to listen empathically to create those lasting connections in their lives. Really, it's such an opportunity here to be able to develop. And I hope that at least a few of the people that are listening that might identify with that will really give some some consideration to listening to the rest of what we have to say here and see if there's something there for them. So with that, let's take our first break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We are on the air with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. He is a licensed clinical psychologist who has been treating clients for more than 35 years. He is the author of numerous books, including The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience, and most recently, The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. He joins us today from Boston. We've been talking a bit about his book and what just is a soulful leader. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Arthur Sir McCauley. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and the author of numerous books, including the most recent book, The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. You can interact with him on social media, as he is the founder of The Empathy and Goodness Project on Facebook and Healthy Empathic Achievement on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Dr. C., on the break, you and I were talking a little bit about some of the studies here related to happiness, and I wanted to go ahead and present that since we were talking about why that's important to our conversation today. So will you say a little bit more about, I think there's one study in particular by Harvard of happy people that you think is relevant to this conversation? Yes, you know, people, at least men in 1980 were followed up till now as to what makes them most successful in their lives. And they were asked, you know, especially the people that rated themselves as extremely happy. What did they credit for that sense over time? And 76% in that study said their primary credit to being that happy was the success of intimate relationships. And, and, you know, and that's very, that's very interesting because when you're just focusing on the bottom line, you're not really focused on maintaining intimacy with those people that are close to you. You're thinking that profits are going to bring you love and respect, as we were talking before the break. 
You know, it's just, it goes back to the what I guess you and I might maybe consider the basics, right? I mean, I know that in the work that I do in my research and looking at well-being and fulfillment and the work of the positive psychology movement and Dr. Martin mm-hmm. Seligman, yes, the importance of in, intimate, close, connected relationships is one of just a handful of really important things that we know produces and contributes to well-being. So yes. finding ways to cultivate that in where we spend most of our time, at which is at work, is critical. Mm-hmm. Yes. People want to be happy in the workplace when they feel respected, when they feel appreciated, when they feel understood, when they're not afraid to ask questions of leaders. You know, one study indicated that 70% of people in the corporate world are hesitant to ask a question of a leader. And mm-hmm. why was that? When they, when they probed why, it was because they usually received demeaning and critical answers. So why would you ask a question of somebody who's going to respond to you that way? I entirely understand that. I see it all the time in, in some of the cultures I work with. And, and and to that end, one of the things that you say that's really, really interesting, and I think all leaders ought to be listening if they're, if they're hearing this now, is you say in the first chapter that 60% of Americans said they would take a pay cut if they were to work for a company with a culture that promotes and practices empathy. Yes. And, of course, I understand that work is way more than just a paycheck, but can you say more about why this is so for people? Well, when you're when you're inter- when you're in a, an environment where people are interacting with empathy and kindness and sensitivity, it changes brain chemistry, as we were relate as we were discussing earlier, and it makes people happy. It makes people more creative. It makes people more productive, and obviously profits increase. So you want to come to work. You also feel that it, there's an openness to discussing things. You can ask questions. You can make points. You can brainstorm with leaders and people who are not necessarily at the top of the totem pole in your company. So it's an environment where there's a, there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of curiosity and growth. And people want to come to work because of that, because why wouldn't you want to be in an environment like that? It's sort of like a great family with families that allow for diversity and differences of opinion. You always want to hang out at that family's house when you're a young person because they're welcoming and they're, and they're open to your points of view. And when that when it's a closed door, when companies are run with dogmatism and they're run with some bias and prejudice, the door is closed to growth. The the door is closed to advancing yourself in a spirited way, and it creates depression and discouragement. You know, what I'm listening listening to and hearing when you speak to that, of course, is the work that I do helping people really cultivate meaning, passion, inspiration, and discover and grow their purpose, right? And so because we spend so much of our time at, at work, we, to your point, we are willing to take a pay cut if we can get more of that really rich meaning and connectivity in our lives because it, it gives so much more to the rest of our lives. Yes, yes. Well, let's go on next for and talk about this notion of the B Corp. And this is something that's only come on my, my radar over the last couple of years. And so I want to I want to talk about the attractiveness of that business model. But before we do, for the people who don't know what a B Corp is, quickly, what is it in your words? Well, the, these are companies that create value for employees, local community, and the environment. And they're, and they're growing rapidly, not only in our country, but throughout the world. They're, they're more focused on being of service to the community and to making advancements in our environment. So it's not just profit. They're also focused on being very ethical and being c- very concerned with the world that they're in, wherever their buildings are, wherever they're, they're building. And in doing construction, they're very concerned about how they're affecting the community. Mm-hmm. 
And what is it about that? Why do workers these days want to work for such socially aware companies? Well, again, when you're in those companies, um, you are valued not only for being for helping to produce profits, but you're valued as a human being. And you're also expanding your service to others because you realize that this is a company that cares about the environment. They care about what how how the people in the community are treated. They often often workshops the people in the community to come in and learn about the company. So it's something beyond the walls you're in. You're, 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 it's a more expansive view of what, what is healthy and what is of service to the, to the world. I mean, it's not, you're not just limited to what you're producing or the products you're producing. Mm-hmm. So how I would see that then again through my my lens, Dr. C, is through my, my meaning and work and identity research, I discovered that, no surprise, people want to be part of something bigger and greater than themselves. Yes. And, yeah. and that is an example of that, right? They've, they've attached themselves to something that is a going concern, that it's doing good in the world, and they couldn't be able to do that kind of work on their own, but by joining that organization, they are bigger for it. Yes, yes, exactly. They they know that this is an organization that goes beyond a narrow view. It has a, a more comprehensive view of what success is. Success isn't just making money or producing certain products, but success is engaging the people around you in your community, in your nation, and try to and trying to be a positive force in that world. <clears throat> Absolutely agree with that. I just love that and so appreciate either I'm not going to talk about examples that I think actually negatively exemplify the opposite, but I I really want to embrace what you just said. It's just so important. Now, along the way, Dr. C, one of the things that I find really interesting is, let's face it, right, when we're out in the world of work and really up to something, we're, we're going to face difficulty. We're going to face challenge. And you talk about resilience and its role in helping us reach the height of the human experience, as you say. I love that. I love the way you say that. And to me, behind resilience is adversity. Mm-hmm. And I've really come to embrace what someone else who was on my show, Steve Gavatorta, says that embracing adversity it is really what helps us become who we're meant to become. Mm-hmm. So will you say more about the importance of resilience in leadership? Well, I, I think, you know, leaders, soulful leaders exude resilience because they're calm. They're not anxious. They're excellent listeners, and they're not quick reactors. You know, you know from your work, Elise, that when people are reacting quickly, it's usually from some unworked out conflict from the past. But soulful leaders are calm, and they're the face of reason in conflict. And, and obviously, that produces resiliency because people can come forth and, and, and share their ideas with you as well. And they realize that not reacting quickly is not empathic. Empathy is is objectively truth-oriented. It tries to find out the facts. And, and when you're a soulful leader, you exude that calmness and you want to ascertain what the real problem is, not quickly, but methodically, thoughtfully. And of course, that builds resilience. It is not only not only displaying resilience as a leader, but you're you're helping others feel the same kind of resilience because you're slowing down the whole process to solve problems and to strategize. Mm. 
Yes, and I I appreciate what you say because I can tell you what you're what you're picking up for me right now is when I was doing my doing a leadership development session last week. In it, there was a, a woman who was she was very very busy and and she was sitting next to another woman and the woman remarked about her. You just make me nervous being around you. You just make me nervous. All that energy is just ah, it just makes me crazy. And <laughs> and, yes. and now you're you're helping me really identify and compare and contrast. Not that we were trying to judge, but just compare and contrast those different styles yes when you're a quick reactor and when you're you have an edge and a judgmental tendency um it doesn't it doesn't promote resilience it promotes stress and a desire to move away from you because you're only you're producing a stress response and you know once you produce cortisol your thinking becomes very narrow and repetitive and obsessive but when you are calm, when you get, give a sense of calmness to others, especially in the face of conflict, I mean, that's what people really admire, that you don't panic, that you're not overly anxious. You slow the process down and you want to ascertain what's really happening, what's leading to the conflict in your organization. Mm. You know, I want to really just acknowledge and thank you for being able to render to us so beautifully, so eloquently that what you've what you've discovered and the work that you do in such a way that makes it so easy to understand. I thank you for that. Well, thank you. You're very kind, Elise. <laughs> it just I I'm I'm learning from you. You're 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 part of my mentor community. So I'm 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 on my journey forever and forever. <laughs> We're learning from each other, my friend. <laughs> okay, good, good. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? Um, well, you might tell from just the things I'm asking you as I, as I went through and read your book, and I did read it from cover to cover, I just picked out for this conversation the things that really spoke to me or, or really were connected to the things that I care about or what I want to present for my listeners. So one of the things you talk about in your book is that women have a tendency to accept irrational reasons for why they don't advance and that they often don't hold people to their word. Yes. Um, and I certainly see this in my coaching with women as well. So I want to first understand from your perspective, your learned perspective and your experience, why, where did this tendency develop in women and why does it persist? You know, it's interesting. I, I had a department uh, several years ago, Elise, uh, and, it, you know, I was a director in a hospital of a department. And here's, here's my example that I think explains this. A man, a, man a, a, a male psychologist would come in and say, I, you know, I would like at least a 10 to 12% raise this year. I think I really added to the, to the development of the hospital and so forth and so on. A woman would come in and say, a female psychologist would come in and say, well, you know, do you think it's possible that maybe, you know, I, I know maybe we're not making as much money as we hope, but do you think maybe I might get a raise? Maybe, but not, not necessarily right away, but, if, you know, maybe sometime during the year. You know, I think women often have a conflict with being assertive because they think it may make them seem aggressive and less feminine. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just being assertive. There's nothing wrong with asking for a raise. People would ask for it. You know, and some some of my female colleagues, I would have to give them a raise and tell them and, and sort of coach them <laughs> that it's okay for you to ask. And, and it was amazing to me. These are PhDs and MDs, but the, the 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 gender conditioning was still prevalent, and I think it's still prevalent today because it, you know I have a leadership and communication groups. I have three that have been ongoing for over thirty years, male and females, and I still see the same distinction between the men and the women. I mean, there's no question that women are paid less for doing the same job. We know that from numerous studies, but this idea of not being feminine and being aggressive rather than just seeing it as assertion 
you know, both males and females do better when they're assertive. The men that would come in and be very demanding and overly aggressive, I mean, that wasn't very impressive either. But women coming in and being very passive and overly considerate of, of what the pressure they might be placing on me as a director, um, you know, you could see that in the corporate world, you could easily take advantage of that, po- of that person. And I see that happening consistently even today in 2019. You know, I just thought of something, Dr. C. I believe this is still as absolutely persists. It still persists because what I notice as a woman in the business world is that when, when I do see women who assert themselves and ask for what they want and what they believe they're worth, it stands out. We notice it, not in a bad way. It's like, oh, wow, did you hear her? Did you hear who asked for that? So yeah. that's what tells me it's still out there. Yes. Okay. There's no question that it's still out there, no question whatsoever, because I have clients who are in very high level positions in the corporate world, and they still have difficulty asking for what they deserve. Men in general, and I'm generalizing, but men in general do not have that difficulty. In fact, they tend to ask for more than what they deserve. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. What I tell the women that I work with, Dr. C, is we can learn from those men. They can teach us something. Yes. Let's just yeah. go ask for more than we deserve or more than we think we deserve. Um, well, let's grab our last break. It's already time. I am Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Dr. Arthur Sarah McCauley. He's a licensed clinical psychologist who has been treating clients for many years. He is the author of numerous books, including The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience, and most recently, The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. He joins us today from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be talking more about his book after the break. Stay with us. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. You're listening to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 561 623 9429. Again, that's 561-623-9429. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Arthur C. Marcoli. He's a licensed clinical psychologist who has been treating clients for many years, and he's the author of numerous books, including the most recent one, The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. You can interact with him on social media as he is the founder of the Empathy and Goodness Project on Facebook and Healthy Empathic Achievement on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Dr. C, for this last segment here, I want to kick it off with, with, a, with a taboo topic, mm-hmm. and that is religion. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have a beautiful segment in your book, which I just really appreciated, as I mentioned on the break, that where you mentioned that you observe yourself and learn from Christianity, Judaism, and Buddhism. And I really appreciate that you're open to various perspectives and you take what is meaningful, for, meaningful from each of them. Mm-hmm. And you also say, and I love this point, that we as adults are responsible for to examine our early beliefs that we have about ourselves and others, and as we consider what is true for us, including our faith, and that we need to be open to learning and growing from others' faith. And I think this is profoundly important in today's age, especially. But can you say more about this from your vantage point? Well, you know, I think that all the major religions have something to contribute, and, and I think it's very naive and dogmatic to not believe that you can be open to another point of view, not the one you necessarily were grew up with, but one ones as adults that you can re-examine. I always use that. You know, there was a wonderful book that uh, Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness the Dalai Lama wrote uh, not long ago. And, you know, they have this great relationship with each other, even though they believe in very different things. But, you know, the goal of their lives is the same. They want people to be happy. They want people to be kind and generous and sensitive to each other. And they want to reduce the prejudice and bias in the world. And I, I think that, you know, there was a, a quote by Thomas Paine that I that I love. I used it in my last book. It is, uh, I saw it in a UU church when I was driving by to one of my group sessions one day. And it says, uh, my religion my religion is to do good and my country is the world. And I, and I think, you know, my God, Thomas Paine was criticized for making that comment because they thought he wasn't nationalistic enough. But when he, he says, my religion is to do good. And that is really the purpose of all great religions is to do good, to be of service. And I think why not take in information from other sources? Why cut yourself off when you can grow and learn from other perspectives? And it's you know we we all learn things early in life that that are not necessarily factual, but we but when we grow up, we kind of take in things whole. I was treating a priest not long ago from uh, from one of the colleges in the Boston area, and he was a a, a professor of theology. And he said to me, I understand what you mean by this. And I said, why, give me an example. And he said, well, you know, the Catholic, the Roman Catholics, at one point they said, don't eat meat, you can't eat meat on Friday. And he said, and of course I know that the reason that the Pope said that back then was that the pork and the meat was bad in Europe. So so they basically were giving the message that God said, don't eat meat on Friday. And he said, of course, we did away with that over over the years. And I said, yes. And he said, but here's the here's the real catch that relates to your work. And I said, what? He said, I never eat meat on Friday. He said, I just, I just don't feel uncomfortable. <laughs> he said, I have this crazy idea that there's going to be this, you know, this sword coming down from heaven and going through my heart or something. And he said, I know it's ridiculous, but I learned it early in life. And it's so hard to unlearn that emotional learning, you know, because emotional learning is recorded in the deep deepest part of the brain. Oh, that's just so, it's so important to talk about this stuff and really start to raise our awareness around it so we can start to intervene it and start to learn from it and yeah. in fact right one of the things that I find really really interesting is in the work that I've done is I do a lot of reading as you might guess for they've been prepped for these shows but also for myself and I do come to believe that really good leaders today are voracious learners they're looking yes. to improve themselves yes. they are all about developing others that they work with and seeing the best in them and then of course driving results so in relation to that then, Dr. C, I think it would be interesting to talk about why that openness to learning the perspective of, of faith of others is important in leadership. 
Well, I think it's important, Elise, because it speaks to diversity. And we know that diversity equals growth. It, it, and it equals growth not only emotionally, but also spiritually and intellectually. And, you know, the studies, the studies are so interesting in the corporate world that, for instance, if you take 10 white men that are 50 years old and you put them in a group to strategize about products they, sh- they want to deliver to the public, it's like preaching to the choir. <laughs> you know, if you take two African-American women, a woman from Argentina, a Jewish man from Israel, uh, two white men from America, and a couple of Europeans, and you put them all in one group, you, you open up the whole world because they see, the, they see things so differently and they, they are addressing more of the variables that are possible in terms of products. What, what do we find out in diverse groups? They produce better products. It, and it's pretty obvious why. Because they're not preaching to the choir, they're, they're seeing the world differently and they also see what various groups may want in products. So diverse groups in the corporate world and in the business world, they function much better and they increase profits. And also they increase learning and growth in each other because we learn from the different experiences, right? If we only stay within our own tribe, we're very limited. We don't grow very much. I completely agree with that. In fact, um, I am a certified strengths coach, and one of my top five strengths is individualization, which is the theme that is always looking to for what's different and celebrates what's different in others. And that really is who I am. And so, of course, I do understand that, and I embrace that. And so that's me, and that's how I walk through life. But I recognize that's not something that everyone likes to do. So I I love the way that you connected all of that with diversity because I saw it there, too. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So we're getting close to the end here. There's a couple more things I want to get out of you. And, and this is also important relative to, to the strengths finder. There is a strength called empathy. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, always relate that to emotional intelligence. And sometimes people that are in sessions with me will go, I mean, they, you, know, you get the eye roll of, oh, my gosh, the empathy, the emotional intelligence thing. But you make a really, really interesting argument in Chapter 10 about why empathy is so critical. And I loved how you talk about you say that empathy is that critical element in building and maintaining a, a, a healthy personal and professional life. But you also say that empathy teaches us who to get close to and who to remain distant from. I, who doesn't want, who doesn't understand the importance of that? Can you say more? Mm. Well, you know, empathy is an assessment tool, Elise. It's, it's every mm. mind reading. It allows us to look beyond the surface, not just focus on what someone looks like, or, or what, how their resume reads. I mean, you wouldn't buy a, a novel just because it has a beautiful picture of the ocean on it. You would read some reviews. Empathy allows us to see into the character of another human being. And in the end, that's what matters most. And that's what has been put to a, that's what has been valued less in our professional and political and corporate worlds in recent years. Character matters. We're, we're more focused on status and the bottom line rather than character and connections. And in order to know who to get close to, you have to have a wider empathic range so that you can see beyond the surface and you're not naive about assessing another. You don't just base your opinion of another person on a few peripheral variables. You know what their heart and soul is like. And and it teaches you who to negotiate with. It also teaches you who to get close to in love relationships. 
Okay, so you've just opened up a whole new realm for listeners who probably have never heard that empathy is an assessment tool. I haven't either, Dr. C., so thank you for that. So that opens up whole worlds because for the people that are rolling their eyes about this whole empathy thing, you if you consider that this is a tool in which to, that you can use to evaluate opportunities in business and also relationships, that is just mind-boggling. Yes, I think it's the most important tool. I really do because I've I just I've, I've seen it you know over many years that people who expand their empathic range usually have higher level professional lives and they have very deep I- intimate relationships in their personal life. They relate better to friends, spouses, children because they can understand. They know how to listen empathically, so they enter the soul and the heart of other people. And you know if you know how to do that, you can make friends anywhere. Well, and I was also thinking as you spoke, speaking of that, Dr. Cease, I was thinking in addition to being an assessment tool, of course, empathy is a connection tool. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a connection tool and it produces the connecting hormone oxytocin, which is, I mean, I, I just think it's, it's fascinating to me now. You know, I wrote a book, The Power of Empathy, many years ago, and we couldn't prove that empathy caused the brain change back then. But em- giving and receiving of empathy produces oxytocin, that connecting love hormone that makes us feel trusting and it makes us feel understood. It makes us feel generous. It makes us want to connect to another human being. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. Well, really quick here, you know, one of the really important words that gets bantied about when we talk about anything related to organizational development and certainly leadership development is the word culture. Mm-hmm. And, and and certainly when you talk about relationships between culture that encourages empathy and those that don't, that we can start to see some financial resources, which you talked about already. But mm-hmm. do, can you just presence a little bit for us what you've seen in your your con- consulting and your practice where what does a company look like that has a strong culture built on empathy? Well, these are companies that are very attractive to to people seeking work, people wanting to be part of them because, again, they follow that AIE leadership formula. They they are authentic, the leaders are authentic, and people tend to be more free to be authentic. They, they, are, they have high integrity, they model high ethics, they don't lie to customers, they don't make up stories, they don't indicate that a product is going to be shipped uh, May 1st when they know that it won't be out till September 1st. They're noted for being truthful. And because they're truthful, they're more respected. And because they function that way, people want to be in that organization because they don't have to pretend. They can be real. They can indicate that they don't know when a product is going to be released or they're not sure about this particular product. They work together with honesty and they communicate with their to their customers with honesty. So they gain that reputation and they change the brain chemistry of their customers. They, they produce a sense of comfort and security in their customers. So when I tell you I can deliver such and such by June 1st, you know it's the truth. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not just trying to get you on board or get, getting you to sign a contract. Now, here's what's so great about that from a competitive advantage situation, right? So a, a client that feels connected to someone that provides that kind of service and knows they can count on that organization is far less likely to go to the competition, even if there's a price reduction or maybe better terms. They trust this organization. Yes, yes. And look, trust is critical 
in working with others and selling products and negotiating contracts. And of course, it's critical in any intimate relationship. If you don't trust the person you're close to, and you know, we get close to people when we interact in business as well. But if, if I lie to you once, are you gonna to wanna to deal with me again? If, 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 if a company is noted for that, if they're noted, like we see in the political and corporate world today, you know, we, studies indicate three out of five leaders are toxic. And when we know that people are leading that way, why would you want to do business with them? Right. I wouldn't. Thank you very much. Well, here we are. We've, um, like the car guys used to say, we've spent another perfectly good hour together on the air already, Dr. C, and already we're at the end. And you know that this show is listened to by people across the globe, and I'm all about helping them connect more meaningfully and productively with their work. So say in the last um, one minute, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I would just to say that, you know, if, if you employ AI leadership, authentic, authenticity, integrity, and empathy, you're going to be, it's going to be, a, if it becomes a major part of your life, it causes a ripple effect in your homes and in your organizations. But remember, it's not theoretical. It's something that you have to put into action. Change is an active process. And when you do this, you become part of making a better world, a better organization, and you around, and those around you become better persons. And I guarantee you this is infectious. If you conduct yourself in this way at home and at work, you will attract other people who are going to do the same thing. And it makes your environment very high-spirited and very enjoyable. Thank you, Dr. Sarah McCauley. Who doesn't want to be up to that? Thank you so much for joining us once again and sharing your heart, beautiful soul, and your work. I really appreciate you being back with me. Well, thank you very much. You're just a delight to interact with, Elise. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. So, listeners, if you want to learn more about Dr. Arthur Sarah McCauley, go to his website. It's balanceyoursuccess.com so www.balanceyoursuccess.com if you missed last week's show you can always catch it via recorded podcast we were on the air with Michelle Connell of Porsche Capital Management we talked about how managing and investing our money wisely can help us live a life of greater purpose and the differences between how men and women invest very interesting conversation Next week, we'll be on the air with a local Dallas young rock musician talking about his experience with bullying and how he has created a purposeful message in response and through his music. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. (laughs) 